Sharon, this is uh, Brian M. Hauser, Hawk Blogger, uh, hawkblogger.com, hawk, slash hawkblogger on Facebook, at hawkblogger on Twitter, and uh, just Brian if you see me in the streets. So it has been ages since I've sat down and done one of these podcasts, and uh, clearly I'm out of practice because... I can't figure out how to get myself comfortable in my chair, but uh, it's good to be back with you folks. I hope wherever you are, you're happy, you're healthy, and uh, enjoying some really, really exciting Seahawks football the last couple of weeks. Um, wow. We'll, we'll talk about that Steelers game for a little bit and um, why that really got my attention and hopefully... Uh, got yours and and hopefully is something that can be built upon and we'll spend some time talking about this Vikings game coming up in a couple of days but uh you know Softy and I have been doing our weekly podcast every Friday and um both of us are pretty busy you know he's got his show he does and a bunch of promotions he does and I have my full-time job and my family and and all those other things that take up a bunch of time but we always try to carve out at least, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour every week to talk Seahawks. And um, he is especially superstitious. I used to be really superstitious myself, and I still am at times, but he is superstitious. He puts the super in superstitious. Anyway, and so uh, we missed a week um, because we – I can't remember. I think he was actually – Honestly, I can't remember why, but we missed a week. We both, one or both of us were busy and, and the Seahawks won. And, uh, I knew then I was like, there's no way we're doing a podcast again until the team loses. So, uh, we've been a couple of weeks since a, a podcast, uh, uh, at least on my list. And, uh, I just feel the need to talk a little bit more about the Seahawks. So, um, decided to do that tonight with all of you and, I think, all in all, I'm feeling not that superstitious about uh, the state of the team, um, and we can kind of start by talking about why. I mean, I think those of you that have uh, been with me and listened to these podcasts and read my stuff for many years have a pretty good feel for my perspective on what's important for the team and also you know, where I think someone like Russell Wilson is within his development. Um, and it's so funny. I, I get a ton of people who, you know, I think the, the there's, there's like the hardcore Seahawks fans that, you know, they're on Reddit and they're um, maybe they're on Twitter. And, you know, these are folks that live and die with field goals, you know, which is a fantastic Seahawks blog, Danny, Jackson, Davis, um, Kenneth, like they've got a ton of talented people over there. I love all those guys. Um, but for whatever reason that it attracts like a really hardcore, uh, know-it-all fan, or at least it can. And I think that dates back to the, the John Morgan days when, when he ran it. But anyway, uh, those people are pretty sure that, that I, despise Russell Wilson, always wanted Matt Flynn to start and, um, you know, secretly look for ways to kind of undermine Russell Wilson within the Seahawks fan base. And it always makes me laugh. And then on the flip side of it, I've got a, a much smaller number of people, but there's this other side that thinks that I am apologetic for Russell Wilson and I'm unwilling to stand up and say, what needs to be said, which is that he's terrible and that um, the team is being held back by him and that we're paying him too much and that he is, you know, completely 
overrated by fans and media and the coaches and and that someone needs to call him out and and you know whenever I say anything positive about him it's got to be because I'm trying to promote this propaganda um it's really funny I mean uh, you gotta love sports that that people go you know put this much thought into it um obviously I do I put a ton of thought into it but you know there's no conspiracy, at least in my own mind, um, for, for what I write. I care about one thing. I care about the Seahawks winning. I care about the Seahawks being a championship team. And honestly, I love Russell Wilson. I love Pete Carroll. I love John Schneider. I love you know a bunch of the guys. Five years from now, ten years from now, they won't be here. I still will be, knock on wood. And I'll be cheering for the Seahawks, and I'll be cheering for the people that are in their place, and I'll be wanting them to do the same thing I want those guys to do right now, which is to win a Super Bowl and then win another one. And uh, so that's what all my analysis is about. And so when I talk about Russell Wilson, I talk about a guy who is in his fourth year, who's already been to two Super Bowls and, and been part of one winning Super Bowl, who has been precocious in his ability to uh, create big plays um, and his ability to be um, careful with the football, uh, able to, to, to make big plays often without taking big risks, which is, is definitely a more mature characteristic, not something you necessarily see in young quarterbacks. Um, and a guy who has uncanny touch on the deep ball, who can throw with velocity, but um, can also put touch on the ball in, in certain routes. Um, and I see a guy who at least appears to be, you know, a hard worker and someone who is going to put the time in to be, a, you know, a better player. So while that's good, I also see a guy that, you know, hasn't been asked to really be a quarterback, you know, in the, in the sense of, of controlling the line of scrimmage, making pre-snap reads, um, going through progressions, um, checking out of bad plays and into good ones. Um, you know, things like that. I, I don't think has really been asked of him. I think he's been a guy that really struggles to throw some simple passes like swing passes to running backs, um, crossing routes, you know, those are tough for him just from a height perspective. Um, and he's a guy that holds onto the ball too long because in part, because maybe he can't see in part, I think more because he has this conscience about the football and doesn't want to throw interceptions. I think he takes that a little too far and, and really waits until he's sure someone's open. And in the NFL, <laughs> you know, a half a step is considered open. So, you know, you've got to let the ball go and anticipate and throw with anticipation. And that's not something Russell Wilson has, has been particularly good at. Um, you know, related to that, getting to the top of your drop, if the play calls for a three-step or five-step or seven-step drop, generally the way those are designed is that when you're back foot hits the top of that drop, the final step, you should be letting go of the ball. So as you're taking those steps backwards, your eyes are scanning, you know, on the snap of the ball, your eyes are on your first read. Um, second or third step, if that person's not open, you're scanning to your second read. By the time you get to the top of your drop, you great quarterbacks, you know, veteran quarterbacks, they can be on their third, fourth, maybe even fifth read by, you know, depending on, on how long of a drop it is. So um, those are things that Wilson has not been well-equipped to do, and we've rarely seen him hit the top of his drop and let the ball go. And as a result, he's a guy that takes a lot of unnecessary sacks, and he's a guy that makes his offensive line look worse than it is. And I think there's probably some people listening to that and screaming, like, are you friggin' kidding me? His offensive line has been a disaster his whole career. Part of what Russell Wilson does is make his offensive line look good by getting out of sacks. I think that most people that watch film um, would tell you that 
if not the majority of sacks, a high percentage of the sacks that Russell Wilson takes could be avoided with better pre-snap reads, better checking out of bad plays and into good ones, better re- reading of through his progressions, and better decisions about when to let the ball go. There's a lot of things that go into that that Russell Wilson has control over and typically has not done an adequate job of. And, you know, I've given him a hard time for what he claims is his offseason program this past year, which was to get faster. His program was physical, like fitness and, and speed, and he wanted to, you know, shave times off of his 40. Uh, I think that's ridiculous. I think that this is a guy that, if anything, needs to be throwing more often. He needs to be um, working with veteran quarterbacks. I think he needs um, really good mentorship, and I've never been convinced that Carl Smith is the greatest mentor for him as a quarterback coach. But that's, you know, seven minutes of me talking about where I think Russell Wilson has been we got started by me explaining that I'm not feeling very superstitious. And part of it is because I'm seeing things from Russell Wilson that no matter what happens the rest of this year, he is showing signs that he can develop those skills for the first time in his career. He is showing signs. Um, and sh- you know, signs is, is even a conservative way. I like to be a little bit, you know, undersell it and let him, prove that he's even farther along than I'm saying, but this is a guy that has now two straight games, consistently got rid of the ball on time, on target, into tight spaces, um, trusted his receivers, and his receivers have rewarded him with, you know, consistently good play, and uh, he's doing it without making significant mistakes. Uh, I think in the Cincinnati game a few weeks back, that was an example of, a, a to me, a game of, of him in transition. There were moments where he was really trying to let go of the ball in rhythm at the top of his drops, and he was forcing it into bad you know, bad places. I think the, the throw to, to Jimmy Graham that got intercepted in the red zone was an example of that. Um, I don't think Jimmy Graham helped him on that play, but I still think Russell... Um, you know, forced that throw, and and you know, I think he's just been in this mode of trying to figure out how to do better, um, of of letting that ball go. And now, you know, that last game he played, folks. I mean, come on, he was, he was fantastic. You know, he was the NFC player, the offensive player of the week, and I don't think anybody could have had a better game. You had Ben Roethlisberger on the other side who played one of the best games at quarterback that I've ever seen um, in person, especially. This was a guy that was, you know, you hear people talk about from a defensive perspective, what you want to do with pressure is sure you want to sack the quarterback, but what you often want to do is just get him off his spot. And what they mean when they say that is, you know, all these rhythm plays, all these all these plays in general are designed with timing and they're designed with a specific throw at a specific angle to a specific place. And so a quarterback in the pocket takes his drop and he lets the ball go and the receiver knows where it's going to be. The quarterback's made that throw a dozen times in practice, knows from muscle memory where it's supposed to go, how hard he has to throw it. You make a a quarterback take two steps to the left or to the right or forward or backward, all of a sudden that throw, the angle's different. The velocity can maybe be different. The the um, trajectory might need to be different. And just that can mess up an entire play. The timing can be off. All sorts of things can go wrong. And the Seahawks were pretty consistently, even though they only had a couple of sacks, were pretty consistently getting Ben Roethlisberger off of his spot. And even so... Roethlisberger was moving. He was patient. He was smart and savvy. I've never seen a quarterback look behind him the way Roethlisberger did. It reminded me of the way we talked about Golden Tate and his rare ability to look in a punt return, to actually look down while the ball's in the air and see where the coverage was and then look back up and pick the ball back up. It's 
kind of the way Roethlisberger was. He could look back, not see his receivers, then look forward and deliver a ball 40, 50, 60 yards down the field on a dime, like right into these receivers' hands. You know, that is not common. Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink of water here. And uh, I was incredibly impressed. This is not a guy that I've particularly liked uh, as a Seahawks fan. I definitely didn't like him from the Super Bowl. Haven't liked some of what he's appeared to do off the field. He's always seemed like a bit of a chump, but I'm not going to lie about what he looked like as a quarterback on Sunday. He was outstanding. And for all the yards he put up, he ended up with one touchdown and two interceptions. Um, And he ended up with like an 85 passer rating. Russell Wilson, five touchdowns, no interceptions, um, 11 and a half yards per attempt. He was fantastic. Um, he was almost flawless. Uh, and the types of throws he was making, there was one throw in particular, and uh, I've been meaning to make a gif of it so I could post it and just marvel at it and say, hey, remember this throw was really symbolic of I think the the pro- progression he's made as a as a quarterback uh, his development and it was actually Kevin Smith's first catch um, of his career but the play was near the red zone I don't think they were in it yet and Russell Wilson took the snap and um, as he dropped back he looked to his first read, um, which I believe was Doug Baldwin. I'm not positive, but was, I think, to the to the far right. Um, he was covered. As he was dropping back, I saw Wilson's head swivel and look at Jimmy Graham up the middle. He was covered. And by the time Wilson got to the back of his drop, he had moved to his third progression. And there was Kevin Smith. And he was in between, and he hit the top of his drop. He let the ball go, delivered it to Smith, who was open, made the catch, picked up, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 yards, whatever it was. (laughs) It could have been five yards. That play was what Russell Wilson needs to become if the Seahawks are going to continue to be, you know, a consistent championship contender. And... That's the kind of play that means that, you know, three years from now, maybe sooner, Russell Wilson could take over the game with his arm and could be savvy enough to read defenses and um, be a true franchise quarterback. So, I, I, you know, it may sound like overstating it to take that for one play, but I, I was, I've watched every snap of that, that, guy's career I've watched it from many different angles I've watched them repeatedly um and he did things in this last game that he's never done before not in the NFL and that was fantastic I think that's why you're seeing guys like Daryl Bevel and Tom Cable say things that are almost like they're almost passive aggressive shots and I I don't think they mean to be but I kind of am reading between the lines, and, and maybe this is what this is just what I see. But these are guys that were taking a lot of heavy criticism for the pass protection, for the offensive line, for the play calling. And I think they've been more clear than ever before in public that they felt like a big part of the problem was Russell, was the quarterback. And they would say things like, you know, quarterback's got to get rid of the ball on time. He missed some things here, you know. There's a lot of things that have have come up there, and I think Tom Cable said it best this week when he was asked about it. Um, He said something just really matter-of-fact of, like, it's passing game. That's the way passing's supposed to work. And I think Daryl Bevel made a comment along the lines of, it is really nice to see the plays run the way they're drawn up. And he went on to say, it's nice, you know, yeah, it's, you know, Russell's always going to have 
the ability to improvise and, and go off script. But, you know, it's really nice to see the plays run as they're drawn up. Now, those guys are nice guys, and I'm sure they're not trying to to tear down Russell at all. But you have to imagine as coaches for years, having this guy who generally, almost regularly, I mean more common than not, would go off script. You've drawn up a play, you've practiced it. Every receiver, every lineman, everybody has practiced in a certain way. And when you get in the game, it changes. All of a sudden, Russell sees the guy. He might even be open, and Russell chooses not to throw it. Then he wheels around and, and scrambles to the outside, and all of a sudden the, the pocket that was designed to be in a certain place is broken. Guys are free to rush the quarterback. Receivers are scrambling around, and they're no longer in their routes. That can get exhausting, and that can get – I mean, yes, it's worked well you know, in a lot of cases, but it is not usually a way that you can have repeated success. And so – For these coaches to finally be able to design things and plan things and coach things in a way that are more predictable um, is huge for them because now they can see about doing things consistently well. Um, You can't consistently improvise. You might actually do it on a regular basis, but you cannot consistently predict how that's going to work. You know, scramble drills and scramble rules and all that stuff's fine, and I think they try to spin it as best they can. But for an offense to be really harmonious and and um, consistent and um, productive, you've got to be able to know what you're going to get from these guys um, on a on a pretty regular basis, and so. I think we saw that from from Wilson this week. I think we saw an offensive line that has taken such a clear step forward. And Patrick Lewis is getting, I think, a lot of credit, which is great. And I I think that's that's helpful. Um, But I also think you have to give credit to these other guys. I mean, Justin Britt has been horrible at left guard. And Gary Gilliam has struggled a lot at right tackle. And... Um, those guys have made really big strides and Brid is a lot more steady. There are not guys that are just free runners making him look really bad week in, week out, which is what the first six, seven weeks of the season looked like. Um, Gilliam, you know, still is working uh, on the outside. He had his best game of the season, I think, this past game. And um, I've been a huge fan of his from the jump from, from training camp this year, I really am. I'm high on him. I think he's got great potential. I think he's very athletic. I think he's a smart kid. I think he works hard. Um, I think he's going to be a part of this offensive line for a long time. Definitely cheering for him. And, and I'm really proud as a Seahawks fan to see how hard that group has worked um, to come together into a productive part of this team. I wasn't sure that would happen this year. Um, it is so common for people to say, oh, yeah, we got the offensive line and everyone's finally in place. Now we're fine. Well, and then, you know, the year ends and you get to the training camp the next year and everyone's like, yeah, we just weren't really prepared last year. You know, we're so much better off this year. Our communication's way better because we've had a year together. That's very common. And what that implies is you really just can't bring an offensive line together and a few months like it takes years of continuity and chemistry to develop and all those things to really build a good offensive line and so what they've been able to do um is remarkable uh clearly if they can hang together for you know a number of years more they'll get better uh but they've been a functioning offensive line the past few weeks um i think even the sacks they've given up I mean, look, last week, one of the sacks was Russell breaking the pocket and sliding, you know, one yard behind the line when, you know, he he could have gone a little farther. He could have thrown the ball away. There was a bunch of other things he could have done. Um, if you look at Pro Football Focus, and I was doing this this morning. I might write an article about it. They keep track of sacks, and um, the person who has surrendered the most sacks in the Seahawks is Russell Wilson. 
<laughs> they've attributed nine sacks to him this season. So uh, that just goes to show, I mean, I think uh, quarterbacks obviously contribute to, to, to pass protection more than most people realize. But in any event, um, that line's been great. Uh, the, the quarterback play has been much improved. Thomas Rawls, I mean, that guy, he's great. I, I'm like, I, I didn't see it in training camp. I'll be really honest. I've seen a million running backs come through training camp. It's really easy for running backs to look good with no pads or even with pads. They don't really tackle and preseason seems like running backs always look very capable in preseason for every team. And, you know, Rawls looked to me like a, a solid back, maybe a good replacement for turban like uh an improvement over turban as a backup but there's nothing really remarkable about him and then he gets a chance to start and oh my gosh this guy this guy is capable of making cuts that i don't know that there have been anyone on the seahawks that makes these kind of cuts um he makes three four yard lateral cuts and then makes another cut 90 degree angle straight up the field. He is he is very special in that way and he's tough and he is smart and he's a willing blocker. Uh, I think he's a good receiver out of the backfield. I think the Seahawks have a really good running back under club control for the next few years. And you know, people want to know what's going to happen with Marshawn. We'll see. You know, I've never expected him to come back next year anyway. Um, but as far as this year goes, you know, it's not maybe the popular opinion, at least in that locker room. But if you asked me, are the Seahawks better off with Thomas Rawls in the lineup or Marshawn Lynch? I think they're better off with Thomas Rawls right now. Um, I, You know, not to say that Lynch can't come back and be a huge part of the team or, um, you know, contribute in the playoffs or... Um, or that I would even argue should Lynch get the starting rollback. I mean, I wouldn't. But just from a flat productivity standpoint, what you're getting from Rawls is a high yards per carry back. And Marshawn Lynch, for as good as he's been, you know, he had a year where he was five yards a carry for the Seahawks. I think that was his high water mark. And that's fantastic. You can get five yards a carry. You're, you're elite. Um you know, Rawls has been at six for his first four starts. He's he's down at five point six now, which is still unreal. And I thought he was running great last week. Um, I think that you know, there's a lot of talk about Wilson being sick. I think you know, Carol mentioned Rawls being sick, and and I think that may have been part of what we saw in terms of him slowing down. So I, I'm really eager to see what he's going to look like this week against a, a very good defense in Minnesota. But, you know, you've got an offense now that almost out of nowhere is the fourth best offense in the NFL. The fourth best offense in the NFL. They are, I think, let me, I'm going to pull up some stats here, but... um you know they are fourth in my uh, my power rankings, which takes into account kind of offensive efficiency. They are fourth in um, in uh, Football Outsiders uh, rankings for offense, and they're actually third in their weighted rankings. They are. Let me see. They're number one in the NFL in scoring over the last three games. Uh, they are eight for 10 in their last few games in the red zone. They've converted 15 of their last 27 third downs. This is a really, this is an offense that just won a game and really a passing game that just won a game, um, which has just never really happened for the Seahawks, uh, for this version of the Seahawks. So that's fun. I mean, uh, I love defense. I love a defense that just sets the tone, and I'm I'm looking forward to hopefully the Seahawks uh, regaining some of that swagger um, against a very weak Vikings offense. But there's nothing wrong with having a 
rhythmic, um, explosive, balanced, um, clever offense to win a game. And I think right now, if you asked me which team, which which group I'd feel more confidence in at the end of a game um, to either score to take the lead or to protect a lead, you know, I would take the offense to take the lead, you know, in the last four minutes of the game over the defense to protect one. Um, I think the offense right now is a more reliable unit than the defense. And I can't even believe I'm saying that. Um, that most people will take that as a slam on the defense. It's not meant to be. Uh, I still think the Seahawks defense is very good. Um, we could talk about a little bit about their struggles, but I think a lot of it has to do with the offense just being, you know, making really big strides. And I think they're they're in a really good place for how this season can finish. You know, one of the things people may not realize is that you can actually look up how this offense has changed <laughs> during this time period. And it's geeky stuff, but it's I'm a geek, so I do it. And um, one of the things I just did tonight, and I'll, I'll publish tomorrow, I'm sure, is some research on just how much uh, Russell Wilson has changed in terms of these last games. And one of the things I like to look at is um, his time to throw and the percentage of quick throws he has in a game. And one of the most remarkable things, and I'm almost positive nobody's talked about this yet, is that in this last game, his average time to throw was 2.32 seconds. And he was the fourth fastest quarterback to throw the ball in the NFL for that week. Of all the other games this season... He hasn't ranked below 19th among all quarterbacks in time to throw. This is a player who, over his career, has been the worst ranked quarterback in time to throw um, almost every year. And this last game, he's done something I, I can't say for sure he's never done before in that sense, but I'm pretty sure this was his best game in terms of time to throw. And... Um, you know, I said 2.32 seconds was what he did in this game. His next best was in week one when he was at 2.56 seconds. Um, other than that, you know, the fastest he's been, you know, average time is 2.9 seconds, and that was in week three. So you're seeing a guy that usually is well over three. He's had games at almost three and a half seconds. Um where he shaved that all the way down to 2.3 seconds uh, last week. And uh, as another indicator there, 76% of his throws happened in less than 2.5 seconds. 76% of his throws happened in less than 2.5 seconds. In week 6, just 35% of his throws happened in that amount of time. So, you know, I know that, that some people their eyes glaze over with the numbers and that's fine. So I won't go into too much more detail there, but for me, these are just proof points. They're really strong indicators of, of a real change in how the offense is able to operate and it's reason to be excited. So um, you'll hear it here first. You'll see it published tomorrow and I'm sure it'll, it'll make the rounds because um, I'm not sure I've seen that anywhere else. And I think it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, it's pretty rare to see that kind of change within it within a year. Um, you might see that kind of change over an off season where guys really had a chance to work on his game and they've game planned and worked through training camp on it. But for that to happen within the year says a lot about Russell, says a lot about the coaching staff, says a lot about the offensive line. So really cool. Um, so with that, let's turn our attention a little bit to uh, the Vikings. And this is a very different game than the one the Seahawks played this past week against the Steelers. You've got an 8-3 and three Vikings team um, on top of their division. You've got a very limited quarterback in terms of how he can hurt you. This is a, a low-scoring team. This is a team that is, you know, if 
if uh, running the ball is your left hand and and uh, throwing the ball is your right hand, this is a very left-handed offense. Um, you can overplay them. You can put you know all your emphasis on stopping that and really not be too fearful that they're going to burn you the other direction. Teddy Bridgewater is not capable of taking over a game with his arm. Um, he is a decent scrambler, but he's not Russell Wilson by any stretch. He's, he's a, he's an okay scrambler. Uh, that's not something I would worry about going to this game from what I've watched uh, of him play. And Adrian Peterson is, he's, he's a football God. I mean, there's really no better way to put it. He is unlike any other running back in the league. Um, I wouldn't have said that before I saw him live and I've seen, you know, every player that's come into Seattle since 1997, um, in person. And that's included some fantastic players and some fantastic athletes and fantastic running backs. And the only athlete that really, really jumps out to me as comparable to Adrian Peterson in terms of just being a transcendent athlete that just you watch him and just watching him run is impressive, let alone, you know, having the ball in his hands. Um, the only guy that comes close is Larry Fitzgerald. Um, and even, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's past his prime now, still obviously having a great year, but in his prime, you know, watching him move, watching how powerful he was and how graceful and, the types of catches and how strong his hands were, you know, I've still like, I've never seen anything like it. I think that guy could have been potentially the best wide receiver to ever play the game. If he had had anything more than the worst quarterbacks in the NFL throwing to him for most of his career, he's that good. He's amazing. Um, Adrian Peterson is very much like that as a running back. And when I saw him come in in 2012, against a very good Seahawks defense and just run over them, run around them, run through them. I mean, he has the ability to do all those things. He's got speed. He's got power. He's got vision. Um, he's got lateral quickness. Um, he's great. He's fantastic. So, you know, no matter what you think of, of the Vikings or what you think of the Seahawks, the reality is Adrian Peterson is going to be the number one factor in whether this is a meaningful game. Um, meaningful is the wrong word. Whether it's a um, a close game um, and whether the Vikings win. The Vikings cannot win this game if Adrian Peterson does not play well. They cannot win this game. And um, that's really all there is to say on offense. I mean... Their passing game, Stephon Diggs is a nice receiver. Um, he's a rookie. He runs good routes. Uh, he is Teddy Bridgewater's guy to go to um, to make a big play. I don't know if the Seahawks will be willing to put Richard Sherman on him. He's certainly not someone who deserves that kind of attention um, on his own. But the fact that he is 20% of the targets for the Vikings and really their only threat through the air to me, it would be great to put Richard Sherman on him, remove him from the game, make Teddy Bridgewater very uncomfortable with who he can throw to. That really leaves Kyle Rudolph. And so if you've got Richard Sherman on you know, their best receiver, and then if it's a pass, you know that his secondary guy is always going to be Rudolph, and the rest of the guys are focused there. That leaves guys like Mike Wallace, Jarius Wright, um, you know, obviously Adrian Peterson out of the backfield and screen passes and things like that. But, you know, that's how I would play this. I would put Richard Sherman on Stefan Diggs and take him away. And I think if you do that, not only do you make it really hard on Bridgewater to find guys he likes to throw, but I think Bridgewater will force some throws into Diggs. And I think Richard Sherman has a really good chance to come up with a second interception in a row. So, um, I think the defense is in in for a long day defending Adrian Peterson. And I don't mean a long day in the sense that I don't think they have much of a chance, but I think that he is a constant threat and they're going to have to all, be all in. I think Bobby Wagner is going to have to have his best game. 
Um, Cam Chancellor is going to have to play a great game and run support. Um, Earl Thomas cannot be missing tackles. I mean, Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor have missed more tackles in the past few weeks than I remember them missing in the past couple years. They have not been sharp in that regard. They're leaders of this team, and they need to step up. So, uh, you know, that's something I'd like to see. But really the interesting story here heading into this game is on the flip side, the Vikings defense is really good. Um, I've watched their, their games. I've, you know, looked at their stats, and they're incredibly disciplined. They... Um, they have great spacing. They don't, I think it put it in Carroll terms, they don't overtry. They stay in their lanes. Um, they're just really disciplined. And so there's not a lot of open spaces. Um, and they have a really poor ranking in run rushing yards and yards per carry. And I got to say, when I've seen them play, they don't look like a bad run defense team. Um, they do have a tendency to give up some explosive run running plays, but you know I don't. It's hard to rely on that. I mean, Thomas Rawls is great in that he creates a lot of explosive running plays, so that could be good. But um, there wasn't a lot of you know natural room there, and so I'll be curious to see how that plays out. But here's the thing. Um, their best run defender and the guy who is ranked second best in run defense um, among interior linemen by Pro Football Focus is out. Uh, Linval Joseph, their nose tackle, 330 pounds. He was a free agent a couple years ago from the Giants, is out. He's got a hurt foot. It's first game he's going to miss all year, and this guy is elite. He is playing... Um, you know, Geno Atkins, Indomitian Sue, Aaron Donald level nose tackle, defensive tackle right now, and he's not going to be there. So Vikings um, are, are missing a, an absolute beast in the middle of their line. Sharif Floyd will move over and take, take, um, take Joseph's place, and then a guy named Tom Johnson will slide in. Now Johnson is 280 pounds, and so what you get is – you know, Joseph was 330. Floyd is around 3, 310, something like that. So you go from 330 to 310 at nose tackle and from 310 to 280 at three technique. So, you know, you're losing 50 pounds on the interior of that line. They've got a guy named Kenrick Ellis who played for the Jets and, and is 330 and a decent nose tackle, you know, has had some good years as a run stuffer. So I'm sure he'll play a little bit as well. But... Advantage Seahawks, I mean, if the Seahawks are able to establish a run game, you know, this this should be a game the Seahawks win. Uh, I mean, I think the Vikings' main opportunity to win this game is going to come from stopping the run, and I would have given them a decent chance to do that with Joseph in there. I think they still have, a, you know, some formidable players in there, and... Um, you know, it's by no means a cakewalk. This is not a bad defense at any level, but Joseph being out, is a huge, huge change in this game. Um, I don't think you can overstate how big of a deal it is that he's not going to play. And then their next two best defensive players, Anthony Barr at linebacker and Harrison Smith at safety are both, uh, hobbled a little bit as well. So, you know, I personally always like seeing the Seahawks play the best. I want. I would rather Joseph be in there. I'd like Barr and Harrison Smith to be at their best. You know, I want everything to be at their best because, as I've said to you guys before, I'm not. I'm not after watching the Seahawks get in the playoffs for the sake of being in the playoffs. Like we've, we've all gotten the participation trophy over the years. You know, I want to believe this team can win the Super Bowl, and I want to see evidence of that. And in order to to do that, you need to see them beat really good teams in tough situations because that's what it's going to take to get there. And this Vikings team's good; they're a very good team. They're a great test for the Seahawks, and you know, it will be a little bit less of a statement for them to do it um, with some of these injuries. Uh, the, the Vikings will also be missing their other starting safety, safety Andrew Sandejo. Um, so, 
it's it's a little less of a a merit badge so to speak but um it still is a very meaningful game um it's 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 going to be their best opportunity to play a tough team on the road and if they can get this win which by the way i feel like they should <laughs> they really should win this game um then you know you've got a team that's really set for a strong stretch run like they've done almost every year ironically other than the year they won the super bowl where their last four games of the season were arguably their worst four games of the season um this team you know could make that run but they have to get this game they have to get this game so i'm super excited to see one is thomas rawls you know a guy that now his third week in a row of starting can he carry the load um you know is he fully healthy from last week and you know can he put up some numbers man if if Thomas Ross can come in here and put up 140 150 yards something crazy like that man that would be amazing um and, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities and then the other thing I'm excited to see is is this transformation of Russell Wilson real is this something that is not just a flash that will then eventually turn into a consistent thing. Is he ready to make that consistent, you know, transition now? Did he taste success? Does he believe in what he did and in his receivers and his line? And will he continue that um, efficiency and discipline in his game against a really pretty talented group in the secondary? So I'm excited about that. I think this is a, a fun game for the Seahawks to potentially prove what they can be to themselves and to other people. And um, I think it's a really good opponent for them to to be facing at this particular time. So um, for the first time this year, you know, there's there's a story to be told here where the Seahawks are building towards something interesting. A lot of this year has just been odd. It's been a weird situation. You've got them losing games when they win the turnover battle and winning games when they lose the turnover battle and um, all sorts of things that are kind of just wanky (laughs) or janky as as my wife likes to say. So um, yeah, it's starting to make a little more sense. It's starting to be a little more projectable and, you know, knock on wood because that's where it always goes screwy. But uh, you know, you can start to see where this team is going, and I think they start to see it. So this is this is a really fun time um, to, to see that stuff coming together. Um, as far as the Seahawks defense goes, that is a group that I don't think there's a lot they can prove this week. Um, I, I, you know, Teddy Bridgewater's not Roethlisberger or Andy Dalton or Aaron Rodgers or anyone else you know, who can really dominate you through the air. So they should be able to play solid defense against him. It's going to be about trying to keep him inefficient. You know, maybe getting a turnover would be a big deal. Um, Sacking him. He was sacked six times, I think, um, you know, a few weeks ago. This guy is sacked at a rate very much approaching Russell Wilson. I mean, Wilson has dropped his sack rate thanks to his offensive line and to the quickness of his throwing significantly over the past three, four weeks while Teddy Bridgewater's sack rate has been increasing. Um, he's been under pressure more than any other quarterback over the past four weeks. So um, uh, this is also a game for Michael Bennett to hopefully get back on track. He seems to be run down a little bit. Uh, you know, I think they've been trying to find ways to, to limit his time I think they want to increase Frank Clark's time, and this would be a great game, Clark, to, to build on the sack he had last week and to give a little bit more of a, a blow to, to Bennett. Um, but this is a game that Seahawks' defensive line needs to get at Bridgewater and disrupt him when he does pass. Um, if you can get this offense, the, the Vikings' offense, behind the sticks, whether it's holding Adrian Peterson to three yards or less on first down or, um, you know, getting a sack, getting a tackle for loss, anything like that, 
pretty close to guaranteed that you're going to get that team off the field. Um, they're not a good team at converting third downs. They're not a good team at necessarily converting in the red zone. Um, they're not a good team at scoring in general. So um, they need to stay on track and they need a good run game. So, you know, I liked what I saw in the defense last week. I know that's crazy. They gave up 538 or 536 yards, whatever it was. Um, I liked what I saw from Deshaun Shedd. I think I saw signs of some discipline returning to that defense and some reliability of where people were going to be. People remember the plays that were made. They remember a little bit. They tend to forget the plays that were not made or the plays that were stopped. Deshaun Shedd, from the very first throw his way, broke up some really big plays and did it in a pretty impressive way. Those weren't guaranteed um, breakups. He was going up using all of his height, all of his strength, and he was battling the receivers and knocking the ball away that, that likely would have been caught. And any of those receptions, especially the one that was either going to be a touchdown or lead to a touchdown, that could have been the game right there. So you go from a guy in Kerry Williams who literally was either losing games for you or you know at the very best was not contributing at all to winning games to a guy like Shed, who in his first start at cornerback definitely contributed to that win. Um, that's a great, great stride. And uh, I, I'm eager to see what, what Shed can do this week. I'm definitely cheering for him. Um, and then we'll kind of see how Jeremy Lane can kind of fit into the, to the mix and how they get him involved. And um, really, if I had to pick the, the things that need to improve most about this defense, it's going to be Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and Bobby Wagner. Those three guys, they need to step up. And if I had to put it in order, it would be Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Bobby Wagner. Um, so, you know, let's see if those guys get fired up from what happened this past week, start to lock in a little bit more. They had to see some of the mistakes they made. Um, tackling and otherwise this past week. Um, Earl's really got to get right. Earl's the core of this defense, and when he's not playing well, you get to see some of these things that, that we've seen from that defense. So um, it's going to be a really great weekend. I think that we're going to see terrific football, and uh, I really appreciate you guys coming by, and I will catch you hopefully in the coming weeks. Take care. Go Hawks.